Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by AMS Media. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by AMS Media. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simeon. We're coming to you a little bit earlier uh, after this weekend's game. We normally wait till Monday for these, um, but I've got so much I want to talk about and so much I need to get off of my chest um, after what we witnessed yesterday at the Amex Stadium that I thought it would be best to do the podcast as soon as possible. I've had some time to calm down um, and to think about things and, of course, watch the game back, um, you know, which always helps because initially, I guess, you watch these things uh, in the heat of the moment. You're angry, you're frustrated, you're fired up, etc., etc. But watching it back this morning and a bit last night as well gives you a chance to, to reflect and think about things properly. Um, lots to talk about on this edition of the podcast. We're going to try and jam it all in. We're going to be talking about uh, the the big incidents from the game, i.e. the goals, the injury to Bern Leno, what that might mean for the future. We're going to be talking a little bit about Matteo Genduzzi and, of course, taking some of your listener questions as well. Where do Arsenal go from here? It's a big question. You know, we well, I guess we maybe got ahead of ourselves in many ways with Mikel Arteta because, of course, we started the season, uh, well, his tenure, sorry, started with Arsenal going on a pretty impressive run. Um, after that initial defeat at the hands of Chelsea, you know, we hadn't been beaten in the Premier League in 2020. And then the restart comes and Arsenal have lost two out of two. So it's a bit of a wake-up call. It's a bit of a, uh, a slap back down to earth for many Arsenal fans who figured that, you know, we we had improved dramatically. It's not saying that we haven't approved it, improved, sorry, at all. It's not to say that Mikel Arteta is not the right man. I'm not saying that for a second. So please, please don't take it that way. Um, I know our fan base are often labelled as being very, very reactionary. That's not the case here. Um, I actually am still pretty confident that Mikel Arteta is the right man. And if you disagree with that, let me know in the comments. Uh, I'd be happy to take your comments and hear your perspectives as well as we uh, move through today's podcast. Now, let's start off by talking about uh, one of the big incidents of the game, and that was the injury to Bernd Leno. Now, uh, there's been a lot of debate back and forth. I've been involved in some back and forth this morning on Twitter uh, about the incident and whether Neil Mope was to blame, whether Neil Mope intended to take out Bern Leno. I think if I look at it from a neutral perspective and I calm down, I can't see Neil Mope going into that challenge thinking, I want to do Bern Leno here. I'm going to make sure that Bern Leno is out for six, seven months, whatever it might be, um, if it is indeed a cruciate knee ligament injury. But I, what I do have an issue with is the precedent that was set by the referee from the, the very beginning of this match. Brighton were putting in challenges left, right and centre. And I'm okay with strong challenges as long as they're fair, as long as they're clean and as long as everything is consistent for both sides. That really wasn't the case. Brighton were putting in challenges left, right and centre. Players were often having to make two or three really questionable challenges before they were being booked. How on earth Bissouma of Brighton stayed out of the book for the entirety of that game is beyond me. He did nothing but destroy. He did nothing but fly in with dangerous challenges. He could have been booked on a few occasions. He could have even been shown a red on one challenge in particular that I remember. Um, so that's what's really frustrating. What it is, is 
when the referee doesn't take hold of the game from the start, when the referee doesn't set the precedent early on, what you're essentially saying to these players is you can get in Arsenal's faces. You can get in and amongst them. You can push the boundaries of what is acceptable in the Premier League before we will punish you. And that sets a dangerous precedent. And again, we've seen a player injured and likely to, to lose a significant chunk of his career now because, because of that. Because the referee allowed Brighton to get into that, that, that uh, what's the word? To get into that mode that he didn't bring, pull them up on certain issues, on certain challenges. And as a result, Brighton have gone in there um, with the intention of trying to level the playing field because we are a far more technically gifted side by getting in our faces. And, and that is a, an attitude in English football that drives me up the wall. I get that football is combative. I get it's a contact sport. But it's down to the referee for me to protect the players. And if he does that early doors, then you don't see, in my opinion, Neil Mope thinking, yeah, I could pull out of this, but actually I'm going to leave a bit in because I want to gain the upper hand physically. And I won't be punished for it because it will be brushed off as incidental. Do I think that he went to, to KO Leno for a long time? No, I don't. And, and I'm not going to sit here and say that. But it's a dangerous precedent that has been set by the referee in the first place. And the referee sets the tone by allowing so many Brighton challenges to go unpunished before reaching for his pocket. And in the end, all that happens is you see young footballers at the very peak of their careers being injured and being ruled out for, for long periods of time. Now, we don't know the extent of Bert Leno's injury exactly, but it certainly looked bad. And it certainly looked as though he will be out for a number of months now. And, what does that mean for Arsenal? It's a huge problem because, in my opinion, Emmy Martinez, you know, he's a decent, bright young goalkeeper, maybe not so young anymore. He's had a few years under his belt. But is he good enough to be Arsenal's number one for a sustained period of time? I would probably say no. And, and that's a problem. And now, if Arsenal's transfer budget this summer was going to be limited anyway, it now needs to stretch even further because the likelihood is that we now need to go and get another goalkeeper if indeed he is out for a long period of time. So lots to think about, lots of problems, uh, lots of, um, you know, concerns at Arsenal Football Club at the moment. None, uh, not the least just the way we threw the game away, but all the background stuff too now. Um, you know, the Lewis situation is rumbling on. Again, Ozil, yeah, he was on the bench, but he was overlooked um, in favour of some of the other players. And that could be questioned. Uh, you know, there is incidents going on sort of behind the scenes that are really, really unhelpful. I don't, I, I don't know how to best sum this up into words, but the environment at Arsenal Football Club is just not right at the moment. And it's a real, real problem. Um, don't forget, guys, get your questions in while we're live. Those of you watching us on YouTube, and I'll come to those a little bit later on in this show. Um, if you are watching on YouTube, don't forget to smash that like button, share it, subscribe if you haven't already. You know the drill by now. Let's move on to some of the goals now. I'm going to take you through some of the goals. And of course, the scoring was opened by uh, Nicola Pepe, who really, in my opinion, showed what he can do. And, and, and he doesn't do it often enough yet in an Arsenal shirt. I think we can all agree on it. But we have seen glimpses of what he can do in that inside right position, that half space where he drifts in there and the devastating effects he can cause with that left foot of his. And you just see it here. You see Nicolas Pepe here. And, and I've heard you know, we heard it on, on BT Sports coverage. I think it was Rio Ferdinand that was beating the drum about um, the, the defender needs to show him on the outside here. I think that's such a... 
I get the the concept of it. I think it's just such a cliche in football, though, that people say, you know, show him on the inside. If you show him on the inside and he doesn't want to go there, then it's not always easy to to keep him. uh, Sorry, show him on the outside. It's not always easy to keep him going the way you want. Nicolas Pepe has very clearly made his mind up here with what he wants to do with that. He's shifted it inside onto that left boot. For those of you watching on YouTube, you'll be able to see the images. If you're listening via the audio, of course, uh, I'll describe it as best as possible. But you just see Nicolas Pepe one-on-one with a defender and he shifts the ball onto his left foot. And from then on, you know exactly what his intention is. He's always looking for that far post, Nicolas Pepe. And if we just take it on there, you see him, he's bent it towards that far corner, leaving the goalkeeper with absolutely no chance uh, whatsoever. Um, Top corner, brilliant goal, brilliant strike, and gave Arsenal a massive lift at a time when actually we had created a few chances on the day, but nobody had really taken the game by the scruff of the neck and done something individual. I've heard a lot of people uh, going on about uh, Saka getting an assist for that. Great, he played the last pass to Pepe before he'd done that. But this is where I have a little bit of an issue with these assist stats because he's given the ball to Nicolas Pepe on the corner of the penalty area, essentially. And Nicolas Pepe has made that goal himself. It's all of his own doing. It's a piece of individual brilliance for which the Frenchman, Ivorian, apologies, deserves a ton of praise. A ton of praise because he has been criticised since he's come to Arsenal. He came with a huge price tag, lots of pressure on him, but he's done really, really well there for me and and it was great to see and it was you know one of those moments and we haven't seen the moments um since football restarted where you can really jump off the couch and, and celebrate can't jump off your seat because we're not at the games at the moment but brilliant stuff from Nicolas Pepe loved the way he cut inside loved the way he bent it towards that far corner and at that point you thought yeah Arsenal have got what they deserve here you know we, we certainly had the better of it leading up to that point um, certainly created a number of opportunities and Nicolas Pepe with a moment of individual brilliance to put Arsenal in front. Brilliant stuff. And then we move on to uh, Brighton, of course, who got themselves back in the game with a, a really messy goal. And these are the types of goals that Arsenal concede far too often. It's just that lapse in concentration. It's not being alert. And we see here Brighton with a quick, uh, with a short corner. Now, I understand that, you know, Danny Ceballos is out there looking to to prevent the, the short corner. There's the corner taker and then there's one other player, isn't there, um, there. And, and once they take the corner short, for me, somebody else has to get out there with Ceballos and help him. Somebody else has to get out there quickly because the minute um, the second player receives the ball, the one who's got the ball at his feet now, as you can see in the image, it, it makes the corner taker free to make a run into space. And somebody needs to get out there with Danny Ceballos quicker and deal with that. And you just see it in this next image. You see Lacazette sort of slight, trying to make an effort to get out there to try and block that front of the six-yard box, but it's not enough um, to prevent, I think it was Solly March, if I'm not mistaken, getting the cross into the box. And there, again, you see it in the freeze frame. You can just see, you know, a Brighton player getting in front of two different... There's one, two, three, four... Uh, Arsenal defenders, what? Yeah, four Arsenal defenders, five even, if you include Aubameyang at the far post, lined up across the front of that six-yard box for the Gunners. But even still, it's the Brighton man who's the quickest to react. It's the Brighton man who gets across the front post and it's the Brighton man who flicks it towards goal and then we have that whole messy thing with Rob Holding trying to clear it. I think it was, was it Dunk who, who slid in 
uh, to block the clearance and it's deflected in in the back of the net. Can't really blame Rob Holding. Um, very difficult situation for him to deal with. But it all stems from Arsenal being too slow off the mark to deal with the quick corner and not resetting themselves quick enough um, once the corner is taken short. And then obviously Brighton are crossing it from a very different position and a very different angle. The striker gets across uh, the six-yard box, the front post, and from then on, it's a it's a problem situation for Arsenal. And it's just those lapses that we keep on seeing and we just don't see any signs of us improving in that sense. And it doesn't seem to matter who Mikel Arteta picks across the back line. It doesn't seem to matter um, who is, is, you know, at the back calling the shots. It's the same problems time and time again. And Arsenal need to be switched on and alert at all times. And Mikel Arteta said that, didn't he, in his post-match press conference. He spoke about um, the need to compete in all the moments of the game rather than just doing it at times and then switching off at times because in this league, you cannot get away with that. You will be punished. And then, of course, we've got Brighton's um, third, uh, second goal, sorry, uh, which ultimately proved to be the winner. And I'm going to be a little bit critical of Emmy Martinez here. And I, look, I know he's not played a lot of football and I know that he's not Arsenal's first choice goalkeeper, but I'll just bring you up a freeze frame on the screen now, which you'll see. And you just see uh, Neil Mope through on goal here after a little dummy um, and Brighton essentially working their way around the two Arsenal centre-backs. And you see Neil Mope here in this position and you see Emi Martinez come to the corner of his six-yard box to confront the striker. And I want to see my goalkeeper stand big, stand tall, close the angle, make it difficult for Mope. And by rights, Mope has got nothing to aim at here. He's got absolutely nothing to aim at. Yet, Emi Martinez decides to take a dive down to his right-hand side really early, in my opinion. And what that does is it essentially opens up uh, that space of the goal that Neil Mope eventually found. And as a result, Brighton squeeze it into the back of the net and they've won the game. And it was so late. And again, having conceded the equaliser, you know, then you think, right, tighten up the ship now. But it just didn't happen. And it's just typical Arsenal to be caught in such a laboured fashion. And, you know, again, let me know what you think. I know some people will probably disagree with that, um, but I am going to be critical of of Emi Martinez there because I just think he could have done that a little bit more uh, to stand up tall and prevent uh, prevent, uh, Neil Mope being able to find that space in the goal. Now, Let's talk about, of course, the incident that, that took place after the game involving uh, Mope and Genduzi. Well, it started at the end of the game, didn't it? When Genduzi left a, a, an arm out as Mope uh, came running and then it turned into a little bit of a melee. Of course, the Arsenal players uh, really upset with Mope for what took place earlier on in regards to Burn Leno and having seen their goalkeeper screaming in agony. I'm sure you can understand why the Arsenal players were frustrated Now, I've been critical of Matteo Genduzzi in the past about his ill discipline, not just in terms of the the spats and the crap he gets involved with, but in terms of his positioning as a midfielder, etc., etc. But a small part of me was was pleased to see an Arsenal player showing that fight, desire, passion. And you could argue, I wanted to see it earlier on. And I wanted to see it from the whole team. Arsenal teams of years gone by would not have allowed someone to do that to their goalkeeper intentionally or not and had an easy ride for the rest of the afternoon. They would have made his life absolute hell. Can you imagine Martin Keogh, Lauren, uh, Patrick Vieira all being on the pitch? 
pitch and allowing Neil Mope to have the freedom of the pitch after an incident like that. It would never happen. And at halftime, I tweeted something saying, you know, Arsenal teams are years gone by. will use what happens, what has happened to Leno and they will channel that into desire and passion to win the game and they'll go out there and get the job done. Over to you, lads. And they did the complete opposite. They did the complete opposite. Now, you could argue that Arsenal were improved on the performance against um, Manchester City in a number of ways. They were more creative, I thought. Um, I thought Bukayo Saka was one of the bright sparks of the game from an Arsenal perspective. So there was some stuff to be more positive about in comparison to Manchester City on the Wednesday night. I know it's a completely different calibre of opponent, but you could see Arsenal, you know... uh, what you could see signs of, of what Mikel Arteta wanted at times in the game, but when the key moments came, when the crucial moments came, Arsenal didn't have the stomach or the bottle or the passion to get over the line and win that game, having taken the lead through Nicolas Pepe's brilliant goal. And then, you know, you look at some of the substitutions that Mikel Arteta made and you've got to ask questions about those as well. And, you know, I get it that fitness again uh, isn't at, the, the peak level for everybody is not where everybody wants to be at the moment. And that must play a part um, in, you know, some of his decisions. But we look at some of the substitutions. Of course, Alexander Lacazette uh, was replaced by Eddie Nketiah, a player that Mikel Arteta has shown a huge amount of faith in uh, since obviously he was recalled from his loan at Leeds. Um, Bukayo Saka comes off and you bring on Kieran Tierney, a left back. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, yeah, we know he can he can produce sort of moving forward. He's got that technical ability as well. But if at that point, and at that point, it was 1-1, um, if you're, you're looking to go on and win this game, then why are you bringing on a left-back when you've got uh, Reese Nelson, you've got, um, you know, Mesut Ozil on the bench? It didn't quite make sense to me. It suggests to me, now that I look back and I think about it, that Mikel Arteta thought, we've just got to get out of here with a point now. Um, damage limitation you know, we've messed this up. Let's take the point and get out of here. A point is better than no points that we collected on Wednesday. So it's progress. I don't know if he was thinking like that. I, I honestly don't know. Um, and then, of course, Sabias was replaced by Willock. Danny Sabias, for me, didn't have a good game yesterday. Um, I thought when he came on against Manchester City, he showed some positive signs. And I think he has shown some positive signs in certain games for Arsenal. But it's the inconsistency that makes me think that he's probably not worth now going and spending 30 or million or whatever it is that Real Madrid are going to demand for him um, this summer. I have to be fair and say that probably his, the fact that he's in and out of the side so much doesn't help him. Um, but I'm not convinced that if transfer budgets are limited, as we're led to believe that investing in Danny Sabias would necessarily be the right thing, um, which is a shame because I wanted him to succeed, but I just... I don't know. I, I really don't know. Um, it, it's it's a difficult one, isn't it? It's it's a really strange one. I, I don't know. I, I just don't know. Uh, let me know what you guys think in the comments. Has he done enough? There are games where I think he has, and there are games where I think he hasn't. And yesterday, he certainly didn't. And yesterday, him and Genduzi, in my opinion, were unable to control the midfield. run. And as much as Arsenal had uh, the lion's share of possession we weren't able to, you know, to turn that into much. If you look at the stats from the game, Arsenal 59% possession, shots on target six, but Brighton had five. 
uh, shots overall 13 compared to Brighton's nine. Proof that it isn't always about having as much of the ball as possible. It's about using the ball right. And Arsenal perhaps didn't do use that um, enough. 474 passes for the Gunners. Uh, that is 150-odd more than Brighton, who completed 320. So Brighton were no mugs. Brighton were able to, to keep a fair amount of possession as well. Um, you have to say that. And I think that's one thing they have improved on under Graham Potter. But it's... Look, for me, again, it's not the, it's not the result, you know, and I keep saying that it's not necessarily the result. Mikel Arteta has come in. He's taken on a really, really difficult task at the Emirates Stadium. I don't think anybody can deny that. Um, As I keep saying, there are lots of issues going on behind the scenes. There is a very unbalanced squad. Um, It's a top heavy squad. We've now lost players. Uh, to long-term injuries, which isn't helpful. Granite Shaco, someone we know um, has been key to Mikel Arteta's plans. And as more, whether you like him or loathe him, he has been important uh, to the work that Mikel Arteta has been doing at the Arsenal. When he's starting games, um, proves that, doesn't it? The fact that he keeps starting him proves that. Uh, he obviously wanted the left-footed centre-back. He went and got Pablo Marie in. And we've lost both of those players now. And we've lost our goalkeeper. Um, who was in fine form. I thought Bern Leno was really, really good against Manchester City and he was really, really good in the lead up to the, the, the break as well. So he's got so much to contend with, Mikel Arteta, but, you know, you can't help but be frustrated after results and, and, and displays like that. Um, when you take the lead the way we did, you're... As a football fan, you know, you take the lead having been looking for a breakthrough for so long um, with a really, really nice goal uh, from Nicolas Pepe on the 68th minute, around about 20 minutes plus stoppage time to go and you throw it away. You simply cannot help but be frustrated. Um, Let's go over to some of your live comments. Don't forget, if you're watching us on YouTube, smash that like button and leave us a comment as well and we'll come to those. Uh, David Nguyen says... Uh, a real question, are Arsenal a better club than Leicester Football Club? Of course we are. Um, Arsenal are a huge, huge club. Uh, the Arsenal dwarf Leicester City in terms of their size, in terms of their history. Yeah, Leicester are having a decent time at the moment. Um, but, you know, Leicester haven't picked up maximum points in, I think, their last 10-plus games I heard yesterday. So... Yeah, yeah. look, Leicester have done some good things this season and they're going to overachieve. Of course they are. And they won the league a, a few years ago. But to say a Leicester are a better football club than Arsenal, no way. I think if I'm a footballer and I've got two offers on the table, I'm going to Arsenal because I want to join a big historic football club. And that's me taking my Arsenal hat off. I think the size of the two clubs is incomparable. You cannot compare uh, the size of those two football clubs. And you know, yeah, Leicester are having a decent time at the moment. They're overachieving and Arsenal are underachieving, but it's a temporary thing in my opinion. Um, so that's, that's my answer to that. Uh, David also says uh, in regards to uh, the Neil Mope thing, the intention was to cause a mistake out of the goalkeeper, not to hurt another person. And I agree with that. And that goes back to what I was saying. You know, I don't think that Mope went there with the intention to, to knock out Bern Leno. But what he did do was he pushed the boundaries of what is allowed. Barging into a goalkeeper who's got the ball in his both his hands in the middle of the air is somebody pushing the boundaries. And that is a consequence of a referee allowing a team to get away with playing on the very edge of what is acceptable throughout the fixture. That's my take on it. Um, 
Uh, Chris says, how Bisuma and Mope didn't even get a, a single yellow card. You're absolutely right, mate. It, it's ridiculous. Um, Colin Farrell says, it, Harry, if Ozil comes back, Arteta may as well resign because he has won again. Laughing all the way to the bank. I, but this is the thing, Colin. It shouldn't be a battle between Arsenal Football Club or Mikel Arteta and Mesut Ozil. It should be doing what's best for the team. And when... You are looking for a goal. I can't see how you can keep overlooking this guy, um, you know, time and time again. Now, I haven't necessarily got an issue with him being left out of Man City if he wasn't fit. I haven't got an issue with him being on the bench yesterday as well if he, if Mikel Arteta doesn't feel that physically he's up to the level required. But to say he's not a better option than some of the players that we're currently using for me is crazy. And people will point to the goal stats and they'll point to the assist stats. Sometimes you can contribute to creating a goal without it. You necessarily playing the final pass. You can do it by opening a team up, by creating space, by taking a defender away, by uh, creating an angle for someone that wasn't necessarily there before. So uh, it's not a battle for me between Arsenal and Messi Erzo when it shouldn't be like that. And it shouldn't be seen like that. And managers, if that's the way the managers are seeing it, then that is wrong because the manager's intention or the manager's aim, sorry, should be to get the very best out of his football team using the tools that he has available to him. And whether you like it or not, and whether you agree with what he's getting paid or not, he is part of this squad. And if you believe that he can do something for this team, he can help this team, enhance this team in any way. And let's have it right. He was playing a lot during uh, that period we went unbeaten at the start of the year, then you've got to use him. And uh, look, I'm not necessarily picking holes in Mikel Arteta for not using him yesterday or not using him against Manchester City. But this, what my point is here is this cannot be a battle between Arsenal and Mesut Ozil, the manager of Mesut Ozil, who's going to come out on top. Mesut Ozil's won, Mikel Arteta's won. That's, that's not how it's got to be. It's got to be um, about doing what's best for the football team. And, and that's it. Nothing more. Um, thank you for your question, mate. Uh, thank you for your comment. Sorry. Um, Kartik Madan says, I'm sorry, but doing that after the game is not called passion. It's not being able to take a defeat. Okay. So more pay didn't get a yellow, but then what was the ref? The reason we lost the game? No, the ref wasn't the reason we lost the game, mate. Um, but I'm sick and tired of seeing officials allowing these so-called weaker teams, um, to, push the boundaries of what they're allowed to do in a football match. Are we playing football or are we playing rugby? It's about setting a precedent as a referee. It's about nipping it in the bud earlier doors. And I'm not saying take away all physical contact from football. I am saying though, if you're somebody like Basuma and you've been walking around the pitch, smashing the shit out of people, smashing into people constantly time and time again, and you don't get shown a yellow card, then that encourages players to do the kind of thing that Neil Mope did, which is, understand that he's not going to get the ball, see the ball in Berlino's hands, but still think, you know what, I'll leave a little bit in there um, to make a point. And that is one thing I, I, I despise about English football is that this attitude about oh, leaving it a bit in there. Uh, let's, clatter in let's clatter into him. Let's do this. Let's do that. Let's let him know you're there. Let's get in their faces. It's this classic, classic English football mentality. And it drives me up the wall because what they should be focusing on, like everybody else is improving tactically, is enhancing their game, is developing um, as, as footballers technically. There's so many other things that are more important than that in football. Yet we're encouraging that attitude and that mentality. Yeah, let's close the gap on the talented team by smashing into them early doors, getting in their faces. Drives me mad. 
Um, it, it drives me mad. Uh, let's see what else we've got here. Uh, Del Boy says, Hey, Harry, both of Brighton's goals were so avoidable and could have been stopped. Arteta needs to do a refresh for the Southampton game. Don't let those 90-minute guys take the Ricky too much. <laughs> uh, thank you very much, Delboy, mate, uh, for your comment. Yeah, you're right. The goals were were avoidable. We do need something of a reset, but it is difficult to do that because you saw it when Arsenal took the lead yesterday that they almost went into, uh, you know, protection mode. I don't mean that we became like really, really defensive, but we almost, you could see us just dropping that half a yard deeper because there is a lack of confidence within the squad and having taken the lead you know we we didn't have that you know that I guess confidence to go on and try and put the game to bed instead we eased off a little bit in my opinion we sunk that little bit deeper and we gave Brighton a sniff and then when you don't concentrate when you get caught uh, napping that's what happens and uh, don't worry I'll uh, certainly be defending the gunners here on the next 90 minute football show that I take part in thank you very much mate um Let's see what else we've got here. Uh, John Molderig says, Mourinho, Guardiola, Klopp, Wenger, Ferguson or Ancelotti couldn't do anything with these players. Simeone could. He would kick their asses out of the door. I think that... Um, I think that a manager like that, like Diego Simeone, what he does bring is he brings uh, a sense of fear to his players in the sense of... Diego Simeone was that type of player. He was that type of man. He, he would he would get involved in the physical battle. He had those dirty tricks up his sleeve. Most famously, he got David Beckham sent off, didn't he, in the World Cup in 1998. So Diego Simeone has that shithousery, if you like, about him. And I think that shithousery can close the gap um, on you know, can close the gap between those who are supremely talented and those who are are decent. And and I think that Brighton have very much tried to do that by being physical. And I think that what Arsenal lack is, look, I've, I've, I've had my rant and I've gone on about that. I don't like seeing football played that way. And I don't like uh, teams going out on the pitch with the intention to get in people's faces uh, rather than play football. But it is something that we're going to face. It is something that every team with any talent whatsoever is going to face. And therefore, we have to become a little bit more resistant to it and resilient to it. And Diego Simeone would certainly embed that. I don't think Mikel Arteta necessarily brings that to the table. He looks angry in his press conferences. He looks angry in his interviews. But Mikel Arteta has never really been that type of character. So to now expect him to to put that into his players, I think is a little bit unreasonable. I don't think he's necessarily that type of manager. Um, I think you'll probably see him introduce some some more tactical fouls over time uh, because that was a real feature of Manchester City's game during his time there. But in terms of the physical uh, aspect and stuff, you just need your players to take responsibility for that. You need to see your players wise up to that quicker and, you know, I guess stand up to it. And I know it's not always easy and it's not always uh, possible and it's not always possible to do that without getting dragged into all that crap when you just want to play football and all of a sudden you find yourself in a physical battle. It isn't helpful. It's distracting. Um, but I think... As a manager, you either have that or you don't. But I also think that Diego Simeone is very selective in the players that he brings to Atletico Madrid. And a lot of them are that type of player. And that's why it works. So I, I don't think you can make this squad like that overnight. Um, 
Hyper Frantic, uh, in response to my comment about comparing Arsenal and Leicester City, says, sorry, Harry, I don't agree anymore. We are at best a mediocre club. No, I, I think we are a mediocre team. I don't think we're a mediocre club. I think we're, we're the, probably the third biggest club in this country. We are a club full of history, full of class, uh, full of tradition, with an excellent fan base, a huge fan base. And I don't think you can say that we're a mediocre club. I think you can say we're a mediocre football team at the minute, um, but that's about as far as it goes. Uh, but thank you for your comment, my friend. Um, what else have we got here? Um, David and Guyan has, has said, if it was a pie chart, the board would be 50% to blame. The players and coaches would be 35% to blame and the owner would be uh, 15% to blame. I think my issue with the owner has always been his absence and the fact that he's never around, um, which signifies that probably doesn't care a great deal. Um, the board have been a problem because they've put, in my opinion, the wrong people in the wrong places at times. Um, it, but the playing staff is is a massive issue at the moment at Arsenal Football Club. And unless we can suddenly shift out 15 players in one go and bring in another 15, I can't see that changing overnight. I feel really, really sorry for Mikel Arteta because he has inherited the shit show. Um, there are some talented players in there and there are players who have futures at Arsenal. I do believe that. But the core of that team is rotten. And until he's able to get loads of those players out and, and I guess have the finances and the backing to bring more in, then we're kind of going to have to just deal with that um, and try and make the best of it. Let's go to some of your questions that have come uh, via the uh, Twitter post that I put out last night. Um, Marble Hall's TV says, is it worrying that even after Wenger left, we're still making bad transfer decisions? I think it is. Um, I think that we've got this problem now where well, you, you can go down two routes. So you either have a manager who, like Arsene Wenger, makes the calls on the players that he wants the club to go out and sign. Now, we know that Arsene Wenger didn't always get the players he wanted. Um, and we know that that was often down to um, down to finance, um, down to where the club were at and, in com- and down to the teams that were competing with us for those particular players' signatures. But we've got a, a situation here at Arsenal Football Club where I think we're now in a very, well, I know we're operating under a very different model. And we, we saw it under Unai Emery when he so desperately wanted to see Wilfred Zaha came and we ended up with Nicolas Pepe. The Arsenal Football Club are very much being running away now where it's a case of, what do you need, boss? I need a winger. Right, okay, let's draw up a shortlist and we will go and get you a winger. Rather than the manager necessarily having the final say on the personnel that comes in and out of the door. And, and, and this is a problem um, because if the director of football are not on, is not on the same page as the manager or the di- head of football, whatever you call Ralph Sanlehi now, isn't 100% on the same page as the manager, you have a problem. And we've seen that in, in many European clubs over the years. There's always been uh, issues of disconnect between directors of football and managers. You need a director of football who at least shares the same philosophy as the manager. And given that we've gone from Arsene Wenger to Unai Emery, and I'm not going to cu- include Freddie Lumber because he was just an interim manager, to Mikel Arteta, there's no way that all those managers have the exact same philosophy. So unless you keep changing those people upstairs as you change manager, then you're always going to have those breakdowns and those disconnects. Um, uh, look, Arsenal have obviously made a decision to sign Pablo Marie. We've seen uh, multiple reports of that. But 
you know, it, it, should the fact that he's picked up an injury and probably will miss a couple of months now be a reason not to sign him? Well, no. If Mikel Arteta thinks that he's good enough and thinks he's up to standard, then no, that shouldn't be a reason. So I'm not going to say that is necessarily a bad decision. I think it's too early to say that. But I think there still have been bad decisions since Arsene Wenger left. And that is a, a concern. There's no doubt about that. Uh, let's go over to another question. Um, Mr. DJ at expat Guna says, what's the remedy here in your opinion? Do we revamp this board um, and give my, uh, give Mikel Arteta a massive transfer kitty uh, during this FFP open spending market to buy better players? I think recruitment is key here. I think there's no question that we need to upgrade in a lot of positions and that's a real, real problem. Um, it's easy to say is the remedy give, give him the money to go and do it if the money's there. But is the money there? I don't know. Um, and I worry that maybe it's not. And, you know, I think the FFP has been a bit of an excuse to hide behind for a lot of clubs that have been reluctant to spend in recent years. Um, Arsenal certainly come into that category. But, you know, I, I, I think that Arsenal need to recruit. There's no doubt about that. But I think the recruitment has to be smart. And the recruitment has to be within our means because simply we can't just go out there and spend hundreds and hundreds of millions of pounds on people um, to, 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 to fix this team right away. Um, Hendon Guna says, is Mikel Arteta out of his depth? No strategy, poor substitutions. Has anything really improved? I cannot see any difference between the form under the Mikel Arteta and Unai Emery. I think it's really early to say that Mikel Arteta is out of his depth. I think he's got development areas, as does anybody. Um, and, and we've got to remember that this is his first job. You can have the debate around whether Arsenal were right to give uh, such a huge, prestigious job to someone who's ultimately a novice and learning his role still. Um, but I think it is too early to say he's out of his depth when you take into consideration all the things that are going on around him. I do think he's made mistakes I do think every manager makes mistakes. So stop me pointing the finger specifically at Mikel. I do think he needs to, in some ways, improve in his handling of the media. Um, I thought he handled the media fine yesterday, but after, but the, the whole thing with the City game left me a little bit baffled. He started off by um, saying that he'd addressed the Mesut Ozil situation after the game, and then all he did was say, uh, yeah, it was tactical. And that was a bit like, then why did you create something by saying what you said? post-match um so I think he'll improve on that you know you've got to remember that Mikel Arteta has been a number two before he's not really been the main man he's not really been the man that faces the media after every game win lose or draw and you can see that there are a lot of interviews where he clearly doesn't want to be in them because he's angry he's frustrated and I'm sure he'd rather be in the dressing room um sort of dissecting what's just gone on so um I, I think it's early to say he's out of his depth I think he does have development areas like every manager but I think you know, going unbeaten at the start of the year, I guess, led to some of us getting a bit ahead of ourselves. Losing two out of two on the return has been a real um, slap back down to earth. And now we, I guess, are more understanding of, of where this team are actually at and how much needs to be done in order to turn things around. Um, final question. We're going to go with Graham Sutherland. He says, why would anyone decent join us or stay? If you were Saka, there are not many, many reasons to stay apart from wanting to play centre-half or goalie. Um, look, I think for someone like Bukayo Saka, who's just essentially broken through um, in the last, what, eight, nine months or so, playing for Arsenal Football Club is a huge honour. Um, but 
equally, there's a balance and Arsenal need to make sure that he's happy. Arsenal need to make sure that his pay reflects his contribution to the squad at the moment, um, which we're led to believe it doesn't. So that is something that needs to fix up quickly. Otherwise, we could lose him. Um, but I still think Arsenal is more attractive of a proposition than most Premier League clubs. Not all of them at the minute, but mo- more than most. The London factor is huge as well. Um, but if people don't believe in the project that Mikel Arteta is working on, then it's going to be very hard to attract people um, for footballing reasons. So results need to improve. Um, Mikel Arteta needs to be very, very convincing in these discussions that he has with any uh, potential arrivals. But I do believe um, that he is the right man, but will he be given the time? Will the fan base uh, give him the time? I don't know. Um, that remains to be seen. Fingers crossed they do, because I genuinely think there is a great coach in there somewhere. Um, and I think that, f- f- not just from an Arsenal perspective, but I think it would be a real shame for Mikel Arteta if this ended badly, because it could potentially damage his future as a coach. And I don't necessarily think that's fair. I think he showed incredible bravery to step into a job like this, when he was well aware, he would have known people at the club. He would have been speaking to people at the club on a regular basis. He would have known full well um, what a huge, huge mammoth task this was. Yet he still took it and he still stepped up to it. So, yeah, um, that's my take on that. Um, see what else we've got here. Uh, Carol uh, says, Martinelli will not hang around. Very little talent at the club and good players won't stay bring back lockdown for football. You know what? I was desperate to see football back and I'm starting to wish it that it hadn't come back now, um, given the way that, that things have gone in the opening two games. But I, I only picked up that comment because we are going to wrap up now, but I picked up that comment because you mentioned Gabriel Martinelli. And this is a really, really strange one. I mean, Gabriel Martinelli has shown some incredible signs this season of what an, a talent he is. And I genuinely believe that this guy can be a generational talent if nurtured in the right way. You can see that he's got the right attitude. You can see he's got the desire. You can see he's got the belief. So why is he not getting a look in? I don't know. I can't answer to that question. And it is a question I'd love to put to Mikel Arteta because, you know, he has shown incredible signs yet. He seems to be overlooked and he seems to have fallen really far down the pecking order. Um, Eddie Nketiah seems to be ahead of him. Reese Nelson seems to be ahead of him. Um, I think we all expected Aubameyang, Lacazette, Pepe to probably be ahead of him in the pecking order. But it, it's strange because of those fringe players, if you like, he's probably been the most impactful one this season. Yet he's not getting a look in at the moment. So um, it'll be really, really uh, interesting to understand perhaps why Mikel Arteta has taken uh, that decision uh, to leave uh, Gabriel Martinelli out. He's been on the bench, but he's not featured uh, just yet. Right. Uh, that brings us to the end of another edition of the podcast. Lots of interaction on this one. Really, really enjoyed it. Thank you guys. Um, love going through your questions and your comments. It's great to get different perspectives and points of view. Um, so thank you to everyone who's interacted with us, to everyone who's tuned in watching us live and to everybody uh, who will be watching this back later or listening to it back later. Don't forget if you want to become a patron of the Chronicles of Aguna podcast, you can do so uh, by checking out the link that is rolling across your screens. It's patreon.com forward slash the Chronicles of Aguna. We've got two tiers of membership um, and you will, as a member at whatever level, receive exclusive content. So you'll be receiving post-match reaction videos almost on the full-time whistle 
we put the one yesterday on our YouTube channel for everybody to see, for those of you thinking about signing up so you can get a taster um, of what you'll be receiving, as well as more that is going to come in the next couple of weeks. We'll be making some announcements on that. Um, but I wanted to give you guys an understanding of what you're going to get because we can't expect you to sign up uh, without knowing what it is you're going to get. So yesterday's post-match reaction video is on uh, our YouTube channel now. You can check it out. It's the last video. And uh, we'll be back very, very soon with more. So until next time, take care of yourselves and a happy Father's Day to everybody who is celebrating.